0: Education Charlotte's first semester is just about to begin on Monday and I have the privilege of teaching one of the classes for these students who've invested nine months of their time with us as well as other teachers and the Church of God has long believed in educating its citizenry in scriptural matters that's why we have so many pieces of literature an online Bible study course, sermons, sermonettes, Bible studies. It is also why we have a specialized program for our young 11 adults this year called Living Education. So welcome to Charlotte, young adults. And this past week, as you heard, they started off with orientation lectures and some exciting activities. And that will continue throughout the Two semesters they'll spend with us. We have biblical precedents for this. The schools of the sons of the prophets in the time of Samuel, Elijah, and Elisha. In the Middle Ages, the Waldensians had a school for their ministers called the Barbs. And, I mean, the students were called Barbs and ministers. In our own time, there were Ambassador College and Living University. In this split sermon, we're going to study another biblical education program by a good king of the house of Judah and witness the changes it brought to his kingdom. The title of the sermon is Jehoshaphat's Bible Education Program. I'll spell Jehoshaphat for you, J-E-H-O-S-H-A-P-H-A-T. Jehoshaphat's Bible education program. Jehoshaphat had a name that meant the eternal judges. He was the fourth king of Judah after the split of the house of Israel away from the throne of David in 931 B.C. His father was called King Asa and his mother was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi, of whom we know nothing beyond that. And he was 35 years Old at the succession to the throne, and he reigned for 25 years. And he was one of the house of Judah's best kings. There were not many good kings uh, for the house of Judah, maybe four, and there were zero good kings in the house of Israel. He reigned from about 873 to about 848 B.C. Five people in the Bible hold that name. But he's the most important of all, being the king of Judah. And he's noted for his reformation of his kingdom, politically, militarily, and we're going to see spiritually. There were many disorders in his father's kingdom. His father made an effort to cleanse the land, but near the end of his life, he became quite sick, could not continue to enforce his will, and the nation went downhill again. So Jehoshaphat came into his reign at a time when paganism was seeping back in. So Jehoshaphat begins his reforms by destroying Baal shrines and removing the cult prostitutes of these pagan shrines. And he was able to give his full attention to these programs because he, first of all, strengthened Judah against any interference from hostile neighbors, as we will see in our brief study today. From the New Lungers Bible Dictionary, they give a summary of this man's life. He was a zealous follower of God's commandments, as we will see. And he tried as best as he could to remove these high places and groves and was very effective at the early part of his reign. He remedied many defects in the local administration of justice as well. He uh, appointed judges that were trustworthy, and he set up courts of appeal for the people, using uh, Levites and priests and others. His name appears on the ancestral list of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. He's listed there as josephat He has a character that is remarkable for that time. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 22 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles 22, verse 9. Now, most of this... One verse I'm going to focus on just to start has to do with the death of his son, who became his successor. But I want to focus on the last part of the verse. Second Chronicles 22, verse nine. So this Ahaziah, his son, as they said, last part of the verse. He is the son of Jehoshaphat, comma, (coughs) who sought the Lord with all his heart sought the Lord with all of his heart. He was very well-intentioned. He did his best as a king, but he was not perfect, as we will see later. He had good talents. He was benevolent. He had genuinely sound judgment. And there's no trace during his reign of pride that infected so many of the other kings of that time. His reign begins probably as a co regency with his father for the first three years. And the one the man who wrote Chronicles spends much more time on Jehoshaphat than the author of the book of Second Kings. You'll find the two these two different books have an account of him, but Chronicles spends far more time on him. But in Kings the emphasis was on. Ahab and Jehoram and their war with Elijah. But the chronicler passes over the Jehoram narrative and assigns Jehoshaphat a central significance in his own right because he strengthens his kingdom spiritually and militarily. I hope you brought with you an umbrella. (laughs) This should be interesting, watching the dashes to the car as we leave this building. But he's noted for his exemplary faith and leadership. He is criticized, though, for his alliances with the apostate northern kingdom towards the end of his reign. So like I said, he, he was not perfect. But we're going to read one of the high points of his reign today. Uh, Jehoshaphat gets into an alliance with the uh, Ahab and Jezebel in the north through an, a marriage of his son with their daughter, And then he gets into a shipping arrangement where they have sun later that leads to a disastrous end of destruction of their ships. And he has to learn the hard way. He's got to trust God, as he did at the beginning of his reign. The chronicler's account of Jehoshaphat's reign is more than twice as long than that in Kings. And that's where we're going to go. 2 Kings 17. So let's start there. We're going to focus on just... A few verses in this one chapter, 2 Chronicles 17, verse 1. So verse 1, Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his stead, that is after King Asa's death, and he strengthened himself against Israel. Ever since the two kingdoms split in 931 B.C., they have been at war now he takes over around 873. So this has been decades of warfare. So he strengthens his fortifications along the borders. He placed, verse 2, forces in all the fenced cities, the fortified cities of Judah. And he set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that his father had uh, captured earlier. So this king is intent on reestablishing their independence from the wicked king of the north. But that is not the most important part of this uh, chapter, as we will see. What we've just read enables him to do something else that was far more important. As long as he continued in his faith in God and loyalty to his ancestor, King David, God blesses his kingdom. So his father Asa uh, had captured some cities of Ephraim, including Ramah and Geba and Mizpah. Uh, and there were fluctuations of the border at this time. And now, verse 3. Verse 3 The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto the Baalim. Throughout the history of the monarchy, <coughs> excuse me, of the house of David, Kings were compared to King David. They either were like David or they were not like David. And he certainly is one of the few who was much like his ancestor, King David. And God was with him. This is the second revival of the house of Judah following his father's uh, revival, which began it. And he was seeking God because he walked in the first ways of father, his father David and sought not the Baalim. He was approving his strength against idolaters. And the greatest satisfaction that a person can have, especially a ruler, and joy comes from knowing that God is with you, as we will see as we come into the rest of our story. So he's going to be verse four. He sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his ways and walked. Not after the doings of Israel. When it says in verse 3, the Lord was with him. This was typical language of the kings in the Near East, ancient Near East of the time. We have even among the pagan kings. Uh, on record, for example, Nebuchadnezzar was permanently selected by Marduk, his God. So the God was with him or the God was on his side. In this case, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat. So showing us that culturally, God was communicating and interacting with Israel in terms that they were familiar with in their world. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat. And you can't get anything better than that. If God is on your side, you know you're going to be blessed. So he was faithful. To the eternal God and to the ways of David as David was in the early part of his reign. And he is the first king since David who has directly stated that he walked in the former ways of his father David. Now, what are these Baalim in verse 3? That is the word that's plural for the Baals. Multiple Baals. Uh, I am on the end of a word from Hebrew makes it plural. So the, this is the first mention of the Baals in Chronicles. Under Ahab and his Jezebel, his wife Jezebel from Tyre, the Northern Kingdom adopted Canaanite Baal worship, leading to conflict with the prophet Elijah. And that paganism was seeping its way south of the border into the house of Judah. The Baalim, or word the plural, was a plural word for uh, Baal. And it was a variety of deities. But the most particular one is the Cyril Canaan uh, Baal, because Baal was an honorific title. Baal was often a localized uh, god of a town or a region. But the one that was most prominent was the god Baal Hadad. And the pressure to honor such deities was heightened by the northern kingdom's expanded relations with a Huge kingdom up to their northwest called Phoenicia. So this whole religion is seeping its way south, even into the kingdom of Judah. So in verse 4, he sought the eternal God and walked in his commandments. He turned against Baalism and did not bring that or did not permit that in his empire. Not doing the ways of Israel, that is Baal worship and calf worship. Now verse 5. Therefore the Lord established a kingdom in his hand. See, he was faithful to God and God was faithful to him. And all Judah, look at this, all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents and he had riches and honor in abundance. His people were so pleased for his political and spiritual program that they voluntarily brought tribute money. They were so pleased they had an honorable leader that they could trust and they knew would do the right thing. And so they began to bring great wealth to his empire. He didn't have to go out conquering to bring in wealth. It was brought to him by his own people and by nearby kingdoms, as we'll see. So he had riches and honor, verse 5, in abundance. These people were affording him subjection and loyalty. And now verse 6. His heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. This was reform of worship that was characteristic of faithful kings in Chronicles. This expression, his heart was lifted up, generally has a bad sense in the Old Testament, like in Deuteronomy and Second Chronicles, Psalms and Proverbs. But here... It has a very good sense. It's used differently. The margin of your Bible might say he was encouraged. He found satisfaction and joy in the Lord. His heart was lifted up in God, not in Baal. Now, you find similar language in the blessing and cursing chapter, Deuteronomy 28. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all your things, these curses have come upon you. And Eliphaz, one of the counselors for Job and his encounter, said, For then you shall have your delight in the Almighty and shall lift up your face unto God. We are intended to have joyfulness and gladness in God. And that's what Jehoshaphat has. His heart is lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away, verse 6, the high places And the groves. He continues the work his father had begun. These high places were hills throughout his kingdom where there were established Baal idols and Asherah or Asherim. Took away the high places and the groves. The King James refers to it as groves. The Hebrew word is Asherim. Now, what is that? Well, the Asherah was the name of a Canaanite Baal goddess of fertility. And the plural form is Asherim. So these words, Asherah and Asherim, were used of the goddess herself, of the figures of the goddess, and of the sacred poles and trees that represented the goddess. So these idolatrous symbols often stood beside beside the Baal altars on the sacred hilltops known as high places. And they were important in Baalite worship and rituals. So there was this human tendency towards idolatry that kept pressing itself on his borders. And he cleaned house. He wiped them away. Unfortunately, in later in his reign, he's critiqued for not having removed all of them. Because it wasn't his fault he gave the order, but the people were just so insistent to bring this stuff back in. Isn't that human nature? We have to battle that pull all the time, as we heard in our first message. And now verse 7. This is where we come to. This will be the heart of our sermon today. Also, in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even Ben-Hael and Obadiah and Zechariah, Nathanael, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. Remember, this is a theocracy. He was reigning under God. He was the vice regent for God on earth, sitting on the throne of David. And the law of the Lord was to be taught throughout the kingdom. Now, David had implemented a program for that. But now we are a long time since the death of King David. And that has not been done for generations. The people had not been taught God's ways This is the third year of his reign, probably the first year he begins to reign alone after his father's death. And he he begins these reforms immediately. And he sends out a group of leaders to begin this educational program. And these leaders are of three groups. They are the princes, the Levites, and the priests. So with them, verse 8, he sent Levites. So we have princes, verse 7, then we have Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebadiah, Asahel, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, Topenijah, Levites, along with Elishema and Jehoram, priests. Now that, verse 8, would be a good tongue twister for spokesman's club. I'll give you a challenge. Or else it could be a set of names for your next baby boy. You might consider those good names. Anyway, we have three groups of leaders and teachers. Princes, Levites, and priests. And the princes organized the Levites and priests as they headed out to begin to teach God's people the truth. And they're going to offer three kinds of education. The princes will teach civil law the constitution of the kingdom. Then the Levites will teach the ritual law and what pertained to the temple. And then the priests will teach the moral law, the essentials of true religion. So they could have an educational program that covered everything. They would be thoroughly instructed in their duty to God, to the king, and to each other. They covered all the bases, as we would say today. So we have five princes, two priests, nine Levites for the religious instruction of the people. And so, verse 9, they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. This was a series of meetings that they would hold from town to town as they would travel in an itinerant ministry, going from place to place, maybe even to people's homes. When I was a field minister years ago, I had some church areas that were quite large. And I wanted to have some Bible studies, monthly Bible studies for these people. But the church area itself was rather large, and so I would set up one, two, or three in-home Bible studies that would be closer to the people so they wouldn't have to always keep coming to a central spot. And we'd have a host or a hostess that would uh, put on the meeting for us, and we would gather together and have a Bible study and uh, a snack afterwards. And I always enjoyed going, and I think the people enjoyed the time together as well. So reading these verses reminds me of that. So they taught in Judah. And they had the book of the law with them. This is the special function of the priests. It was to teach. Not only did the Levites and priests perform sacrifices, their primary duty was to teach the law. Because the Levites were scattered throughout the tribes of Israel. And so they lived among these 12 tribes and it was their duty on Sabbath, holy days, to teach God's way. Remember what it said in Deuteronomy of the priests and Levites. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt sacrifice before or upon your altar. So they were assigned by God to teach and teachers they were to be. But it had not been done, as we will see later, for a long, long time. Well, King David had originally set up uh, an organized program of all these teachers to go out and teach the people. But as of 931 B.C. when the kingdom split, this had not been uh, activated. In fact, the whole northern kingdom went astray into total Baalism. David had an uncle named Jonathan, not only a friend named Jonathan, but an uncle named Jonathan who was prominent as a teacher as well. And some of the kings and other princes through history. We're quite diligent that way, but not very many. So we have this similar commissioning of Levites later, after Jehoshaphat's time, in the era of Ezra and Nehemiah. They caused the people to understand the law. You read in Nehemiah 8. Now let's focus on verse 9. What is this book of the law of the Lord? The Hebrew word for the law is Torah. That means law direction or instruction, and occurs 220 times in our Old Testament. And it refers to the five books of Moses, five books that God inspired through Moses, what we call today the Pentateuch, the five books, or the Torah, Hebrew word Torah. And uh, unfortunately, Jehoshaphat's initiative in sending out teachers to instruct the nation in law's Was not the norm. Hold your place there and go over to chapter 15 and verse 3. 15 verse 3. Now for a long season Israel had been without the true God. Without a teaching priest. And without law. And what happens when God's people are not fed spiritually? It goes downhill. And that's why you had the importation of Baalite and Asherite worship in the kingdom. And Jehoshaphat said, enough of that. We're going to clean house. We're going to teach God's people the law of God. So these leaders, these 16 people, uh, had to carry with them a copy of the law, which was very rare. It was rare to have a copy. Uh, Generally, it was only the priests. You know, that Bible you have on your lap or on your device is such a blessing that you can read the word of God for yourself. These folks could not. They depended on people like the priests and Levites and the princes to teach them on the Sabbath because they had a copy. And you might have one copy for a large distance. Anyway, they take with them this copy of the law of Moses and notice what they teach. They don't teach traditions, human inventions, human truths. They take the authorized word of God. These men were authorized by God and by the king, King Jehoshaphat, to do this. And this is a long time before Josiah brings in another era of reformation in his own time, hundreds of years later. So by the time of Jehoshaphat, we have a copy of what is known as the Book of the Law, the Five Books of Moses, in the ninth century B.C. That book is spoken of throughout the Old Testament in historical books as a book that the prophets kept adding to. So there was such a book at that time. So they teach in Judah, not just in the Levitical cities, but they teach in the cities of Judah from top to bottom, their duty to God and to man. And this was the first Great teaching mission instituted by any king of Israel. And they went from city to city and they taught the people. And the people no doubt had a chance to, can I ask a question? You know, a question and answer session as well with these teachers. So all questions, no doubt, were answered or we'll get back to you, maybe uh, something like that. So they went about and taught the word of God faithfully from town to town. That was the rule of their instruction. And they confirmed it because this came from divine authority. This is the word of God. And these people had not heard it for generations, perhaps not even in their lifetime. So it was fresh. It was new. It was impactful. And they sat up and they listened. They didn't yawn and go to sleep. (laughs) Very unlikely. They, They paid attention. And this was their textbook for these teachers. They were assigned by the king himself and by God himself. They had the book of God that they were going to teach and begin to enforce throughout their kingdom. Teaching God's laws and teaching the people's obligation to obey those laws, to cleanse their consciences of all the evil they've been facing throughout their lives and be obedient to the truth of God. So in this they were encouraged and they were confirmed by the example of all. Because the entire nation now is going this one way. And the leadership could now be trusted because they were adhering to the word of God. Uh, if there had been any doubt beforehand, now they're all they all know what God is telling them. And there's no secrets. So verse ten. Let me show you what happened to this kingdom. The f- fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Now, did you notice at the beginning of this chapter, when Jehoshaphat refortified all of his military bases, that is not said but when he sent out those teachers to go through the land and teach God's word this nation gained such integrity and relevance and prestige that the gentile nations dared not attack them that's the key to military strategy god The fear of the Lord, the dread of God came upon their enemies and they wouldn't dare touch the house of Judah during that time. They made no war (coughs) with Jehoshaphat. They had peace and they had prosperity. It was an end to insurrections, seditions, popular commotions were all prevented. That's how you prevent insurrections. Hold your place and go to Proverbs sixteen verse seven. Proverbs sixteen seven. We'll come right back. Proverbs sixteen seven. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And we're reading an example of that Proverb right here in the life of King Jehoshaphat. Because he is his way pleased the Almighty, and his enemies were at peace with him. So back to Second Chronicles 17 and verse 10. The surrounding nations, perceiving the blessing of this kingdom, saw there was no hope in trying to subdue them, so they made no war with them. And actually, perhaps began to cooperate. So we, the fear of the Lord fell upon all these nations. Not only the ten tribes up north who left them alone now because they had been at war continually since 931, but all the nations around them, on the sides, Moabites, Edomites, Syrians, Egyptians, Arabs, Philistines. The more religious these people were, the more prosperous and the more formidable they were as a power, as an influence in the Middle East at that time. Jehoshaphat's power is growing. His prosperity is increasing. The spiritual strength of the kingdom was the word of God being given to these people. And so these teaching priests and Levites and princes had done their job. And they continued to do their job. And that nation was blessed. This was the wisest and best policy possible. Because Jehoshaphat sought God first, God sent fear upon their enemies so they would not want to mess with the house of Judah. Sixteen people did this. Sixteen men, faithful to the word of God. And it transformed the entire kingdom over a series of months, no doubt. Proclaiming and interpreting the word of God. No better service could have been rendered to that nation than proclaiming God's words in all the towns, cities, hamlets, villages, so that the heart of the people was turned back to the Almighty. They were thoroughly instructed. They were united. And no nation dared attack them. Wouldn't you love to see that happen in Washington like right now? Imagine the transformation that would come over our nation if we did this right now, from president on down. We see in these few words the secrets of his success, his trust in God, but also his organization. He was an absolute monarch. He could give the word, and the word was enacted upon. He didn't have to wait for it to be voted in Congress. It was implemented. Secondly, it was aggressive. He told these men, get out there and do this job. And they went from town to town. And it was educational. They took with them the word of God, an official copy of God's word. So religious teachers were better than armies to fortify his kingdom because they magnified God above all. So here was a religious king. And he made a religious nation as a result, but he used the word of God in the process. He didn't say, look to me. He said, look to the Almighty. Many and great are these advantages of such religious and moral instruction that all of us need. Every family felt an increase in their happiness, and they had a king they could trust, and they loved And he was like a parent to them and a benefactor. And it made all these people better subjects, better artists, better farmers and tradesmen. I mean, it blessed the nation from top to bottom. It diffused talents throughout the land, aroused the inquiry of the people, tell us more, teach us more about the way of God. Brethren, this was a spiritual awakening that transformed his kingdom. God's ministers must always take their Bibles with them. They must always be preaching the word of God. That's why we teach you from God's word every sermon, every sermon, every Bible study. So verse 11 now. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute silver. The Arabians brought flocks, 7,700 rams, 7,700 he goats, and Jehoshaphat waxed great exceedingly, verse 12, and he built in Judah castles, palaces, and cities, storehouse cities. There's no record of Jehoshaphat conquering Philistia, but he's ruling them over, ruling overruling them, rather, because of his prestige and respect. They honor him. The Arabians were... Probably tribes to the south and southwest of Judah, close to the Philistines. Likely semi nomadic tribes out there in the desert region of the Negev and the Sinaitic and Arabian peninsulas. And so they begin to send their wealth to this powerful king out of respect. And they show him their submission to him. His kingdom now begins to control the caravan routes across the Arabah and the Negev and the coastal highway. And all that brings in lucrative tax and tribute money. And his kingdom is prospering and growing in power. God was blessing them with peace and prosperity. Tribute money from near and far because of their faithfulness to his truth. Can you imagine when something like this and more will happen around the world when Jesus Christ returns? As an absolute monarch. And it implements a program like this. Verse 12. He waxed increasingly great. Now, verse 13. He had much business in the cities of Judah and the city. The men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. These men were strengthened. They were encouraged by this uh, blessing of the Almighty. Verse 13. Mighty men, the secret of peace. Bringing in tribute money and animals, making them very great and powerful. This was a greater defense even than their fortresses around the borders of the kingdom. This remarkable fear of God came upon the entire nation. And so God was with him, this king, good King Jehoshaphat, and his people uh, throughout this brief span of time. Unfortunately, it was too brief. It was a strength of nation that did not reside on its military bases, but on its trust in the Almighty God. It was implemented immediately. He didn't wait around. He didn't get a vote. He put it into action. It was implemented universally, all the towns throughout his empire. And those men went out earnestly, and they accomplished the job, and he entrusted them with it. The reign of Jehoshaphat was marked by the end of warfare during that brief time of his lifespan, uh, one of the few uh, such periods since the death of Solomon. But he knew that the nation's character was determined by its faith in God. He made it his duty to purify the national worship. He rid the land of Sodomites and Baal and Asherah worship destroyed these idols, cleansed the land, and it brought civilization to his people. Those people who had been suffering from ignorance all this time now are getting a good education. Then, after this chapter, we don't have time to read it today, but he restores the justice justice system with men that could be counted on, men who feared God. Like it says in the earlier books of the Bible, he establishes two courts of appeal, one led by a high priest and one led by a layman. And again, God's word was the ultimate authority. Unfortunately, near the end of his career, he erred by making an alliance with Ahab because he allowed his son to marry Ahab's daughter, They and Ahab and Jehoshaphat go to war, and Jehoshaphat's almost killed. It's an interesting story by itself. Well, he comes back to Jerusalem, and Jehu the seer rebukes Jehoshaphat, and he says, Should you help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon you from before the Lord. I hope you've learned your lesson. You started out well. Why did you go backwards? And then he made another mistake. He gets into a military alliance with Ahab's son. They set up a fleet of ships, kind of a shipping business, and God wrecks the entire fleet. Well, finally, Jehoshaphat seems to learn his lesson. But this remarkable story, just these few verses of chapter 17, shows the kind of result when God's people turn to God in faith and read his word and trust it and obey it. Jehoshaphat was a remarkable king. He was not a perfect king. None of them were. But he brought about one of the greatest reformations in the history of the house of Judah. He died at the age of 60. And Josephus tells us that he was buried in a magnificent manner because he had imitated his forefather, David. The kingdom was left to Jehoram, his son. Unfortunately, things really went downhill from there because Jehoram massacred all his brothers. This was a high point in the history of the house of Judah. Matthew Henry's commentary sums up this man with a few key points. What a wise man he was. What a good man he was in that he walked in the ways of his forefather David did not seek the Baalim. He obeyed God's commandments. His heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. He was a good man and he was a good king. He took away the teachers of lies and he sent out teachers of truth throughout his kingdom. These princes and Levites and priests. Overall, he had a very effective ministry. These itinerant judges and itinerant teachers went throughout the land and It brought a transformation upon his entire kingdom. And what a happy man he was because he had God's favor. And the people were happy because he was their king. He had brought such blessing to their land. they they loved him and they brought presents to him out of respect. That's the kind of leadership that our peoples will need and will receive when the greater son of David returns. This royal Bible education program is a model for all who follow. Let's go to 1 Timothy 5.17. 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor In the word and doctrine. That's what ministers are to teach. The word and doctrine. Not psychology, not psychiatry, not sociology, not politics. The word of God. They who labor in the word and doctrine. Let's go to 1 Peter 4.11. Our last verse, 1 Peter 4.11. 1 Peter 4.11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. God's words. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. God inspired the Bible to be recorded and preserved from generation to generation. You have a copy with you now. Read it. Please study it. God's people today need instruction now more than ever. Let me tell you about lcgeducation.org. That website, fairly new, set up by Mr. Jonathan McNair and his computer computer, helpers, lcgeducation.org, where you will find all sorts of resources for your studies. You can take courses. We have children's lessons. We have some materials in Spanish. We have access to our own college library. You can download and use electronic resources from there. We have music And I have a column on that uh, website as well called Digging Deeper. Let me encourage you to participate and sign in and pay attention and see what's available for you to increase your Bible study and knowledge. And sign up for Mr. Jonathan McNair's newsletter. He'll update you frequently about new materials coming online. So, brethren, let this story of Jehoshaphat's Bible education program Encourage us to be more diligent, to use these resources for our spiritual development.